Welcome to episode 71 of No Shot Clock, the Chicago High School Basketball Podcast. I'm Michael O'Brien, here as always with Joe Hendrickson of the City Suburban Hoops Report. Happy Martin Luther King Day, Joe. Yeah, Mike. Busy weekend, obviously, with all the Martin Luther King tournaments. And, you know, I don't know your opinion on them or I've discussed them. I've never gotten your firm yay or nay officially of, of do you like this this stuff? I never felt strongly about it, and but this year it's starting to bug me a little bit. There's just so many scores running by on Twitter and people tagging in me and scores, and I don't even know where these games are taking place, what round of consolation play it is, and I'm I'm just kind of deeply confused. Exactly, that was kind of my point, you know, with <clears throat> with also everybody playing so many games. Uh, in a short period of time, you know, I, I just use the example real quick of Maine South play that big game Friday night, beat Niles North in a key conference game, had to come right back after playing that, you know, emotional game and travel to Galesburg, play two games. Uh, they won their first one and then lost to Galesburg, which a team that they should have beaten. But what do you take from that? Three games in a 24 hour period, the travel, the big game before the night before. So, I just don't know what you take from each one of these games in these tournaments over the course of the three-day weekend, especially those teams that play on a Friday night. Yeah, it's, I mean, look, the event I was at today, you know, the the Fenwick thing, that was nice. You know, two games, two high-profile games, and it was fun. You know, gym was packed. That was cool, but, yeah, the tournament. Yeah, and, yeah, I don't I don't count that as a, I mean, obviously it's a Martin Luther King event on Martin Luther King Day, and, and but I'm just specifically talking about those yeah. tournaments where they're they're playing four games and I don't know. I mean, we know holiday tournaments at Christmas time are huge. People love them. There's 70, 80 years in historical value in a lot of them. Basketball and Thanksgiving time is is what it is. It's kind of your warm up, your preseason, if you will. So there's a purpose for that. But this thing, I just I just can't gravitate towards it. I think you uh, might be right. Um, yeah, I don't know. Was the old hoops in the loop this weekend? I'm dating myself, but <laughs> yeah, I, I, feel, I, I don't remember. I, I don't. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't either. Um, all right. Well, let's. We're gonna plan here. We got a lot of questions to get through. Then we are gonna do our two takes, as always, and then we're gonna. Take a look at some of the top uncommitted prospects in the senior class. You know, it's getting over the halfway point of the season, at least calendar-wise. And we have a lot of uncommitted guys, and it's a pretty good list. You know, Joe and I have been pretty negative about the senior class, I think, you know, for good reason. But I think, weirdly, though, we've ended up with kind of an interesting long list of uncommitted seniors um, this late in the year. Yeah, so, you're, you're, di- you're diving into one of my takes, so you're stealing some of my uh-oh. thunder, so. Sorry. But you go ahead. Go ahead with your first one. Um, no, questions. Questions first. Oh, questions, um, yeah. Let's see. Uh, i got to go way back. Cause we, we got a question from way before. Joe Cermak, in the like, middle of the week. He says, you know, he, uh, he knows this is a few days early. Gentlemen, for years, a contributing freshman on varsity was always considered something along the lines of something special. In the past few years, and especially this year, why do you guys think there are so many freshmen playing big roles on Class 3A and 4A teams? Is it a strong crop? Is it a weakening of our state's talent pool? What are your thoughts? Mike, it's interesting that this question came in because today, as I was 
early this morning I was doing some homework on a story that I'm putting out this week. And my old, those of you that are aware of my old City Suburban Hoops Report publication for 20 years that people subscribe to. Anyway, I was going through, thumbing through that for some historical looks at some things. And I came across a story that was growing up quick. And this was in 2008. So I don't think this was a, a trend that's just recent. <clears throat> I do believe that it, it started you know, well over a decade ago. Uh, I would say early 2000s specifically where this trend really began. And this, in this story, it, it was interesting to read the quotes in the story that I had from Gene Pingator, um, Dave Weber from Glenbrook North, Gordy Kirkman from West Aurora, and Rob Smith of Simeon, who, as you know, for years, did not play a freshman. And at that time, still was not playing really any freshman. So it's interesting that the question is asking if this is a new wave. It's, I, I don't think it is at all. I think it's going on now for about 15 years where it's been, especially the last 10. Yeah, I think that's totally true. However, I do think the last two years we've had more. You know, I think it's become a normal thing to do with your freshmen, which I think is kind of what you're talking about. But this, the last two years, I've never gone around and seen so many playing. And I think that's because the the two classes have been bad. I think the lack of top juniors and seniors this year is just given more playing time to a freshman that looks capable. I think a lot of years Peters isn't playing so much at Evanston. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, I don't know about that one. I think he's just so mentally prepared and and that that's a little different but to your point of there's more another thing is that and this goes back to the trend a lot of it you know you can say what you want about aau basketball it's done a lot to ready players at a younger age to participate at a higher level earlier in their career in high school and i think that goes without saying over the years that's when aau has really propped up in the last 15 years. And as a result, we've seen a ton of freshmen contributing at the varsity level. Totally. Yeah, that, that's definitely true. Um, but yeah, it has been a weird amount to me the last couple of years. Um, I know some people are kind of annoyed that I'm always talking about freshmen on Twitter, and that didn't happen two years ago. So, Well, I took some quotes out of here real quick, Mike. It was yeah. funny. I, um, they, they, the coaches in this story – they didn't blame the parents, but because of the pressure of these high-profile players that end up at schools, they want to play as freshmen. Oh, yeah. Uh, like Gene Pingator, the parents put pressure on the coach and have stars in their eyes and want their kid to be guaranteed a varsity spot before they even come to school. Now it's Pingator's quote back in 2008. Yeah. Rob, Rob Smith, parents want their kids playing varsity as freshmen. So, uh, I don't know how much that plays into it, but there is a more pressure to bring kids up. Yeah, I think it definitely does. I mean, you see it sometimes where, I mean, guys are leaving because they're not playing enough as a freshman. I mean, right. we've seen that a few times, especially at the high-level public league schools. All right, next up, Nathan Passarelli. He says, hi, my name is Nathan Passarelli. I'm a student at Carmel Catholic in Mundelein. First off, love your show. I listen to it almost every week. Some questions to consider for the next episode. Nathan's questions here, he's got uh, five of them. They are Carmel-oriented. The first one, could Carmel surprise a few in 3A? 
I think, uh, Nathan, if you have a pulse and are over 500 in 3A, the world is your oyster. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah, I mean, Carmel's at North Chicago. Uh, really, DePaul Prep is the best team there. Probably North Chicago and Carmel the next two. So, yes, I mean, for sure. Uh, next question, could Carmel be a factor next year? They have a lot of solid juniors and a stud freshman, Kimo Wilson. Definitely. I mean, I would say they might become the favorite in that conference, in that sectional next year. Yeah, I mean, Johnny Roser and, and Evan Myers and Jalen Snell are all juniors. Uh, uh, Lucas Galadoni is another junior. And they got four or five juniors that are contributing uh, and they had a game experience last year at Sophomores on the varsity level. And obviously, Kamari Wilson at as a freshman point guard, is he's got a chance to be pretty special. Yeah, I saw them real early, like opening week of the season, and I think it still might be their worst game of the year, so I'm not judging them too hard on that. But this is a team that's on the outskirts of the Super 25. I mean, I don't think Carmel is in any way kind of a dark horse, really. They're a good team this year, and they'll be a factor. Um, next one, he says, what school has the best student section, most electric atmosphere? We talk about this a lot. Since it's, uh, I guess, as you're listening to this, it's later tonight, Tuesday night, you're not going to be able to beat Brother Rice and Marist. It's a great atmosphere. It's at Marist, which is a great gym. Brother Rice is great too, but for some reason this game feels better usually to me at Marist. So I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be real exciting. You know, there's the old Nutrier, Evanston, and a lot of good CPS matchups. Yeah, I, mean, I was going to use that as an example, the Brother Rice-Marist game. You, you, you can't get better than that one. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. Um, wants to know if the East Suburban Catholic is underlooked. I think like half the conference is ranked or something. Yeah, I mean, this is a different animal, the East, East Suburban Catholic, than we've had in the past. So it's great high-profile teams. Bennett played in a state championship two out of the last uh, what, four years. Uh, the Marion Catholic team, the Tyra Eulis, and It's just they don't have that type of team. But they got a lot, as usual, competitive balance in that top half of the league. Yeah, I'm starting to wonder if Marist isn't. I, I jumped him way up in the rankings to number six because they don't lose, and they had a really impressive win at Marion Catholic. So I'm wondering kind of how far that team can go. I'm very interested in Marist. But uh, last question here from Nathan is, what teams in northern Illinois, Lake County, can make some noise towards the end of the season? Uh, dude, I, you know I don't I think it say. happens. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Grays Lake Central is 5-0. and yeah. <laughs> Now, in league play. I want to talk about Waukegan. <laughs> I don't know. Wait, what? Waukegan? I, Waukegan, Lake County. They can make noise. Oh, I thought, I, I thought they were talking specifically of a, a conference. Uh, no, no. He just means Lake County. Uh, uh, so it pains me. Hey, Waukegan's hot, baby. Three in a row. One in Lincoln? One in Lincoln. A tough place to win. Yeah. They were seven and five, and now won three in a row. Waukegan's, they'll be fine. God, I know. I just, I feel like I'm the boy who cried wolf with Waukegan. It's just, I go out and I watch all these games all week, and I see all these teams that aren't as good as the Waukegan team I saw the first week of the season. So it's very frustrating. I'm frustrated. So Nathan, I say Waukegan, but I, I know some guys I respect thought that Libertyville was the best team in Lake County, and. I, no, I mean, on paper, pound for pound, Mike, Waukegan is the best, most talented team with the biggest upside, regardless of record right now, as we sit here on the middle of the season. And they've got a whole half of a season to kind of jump, make that jump. And, I mean, I know you don't like consolation games, but they beat Prospect, I think. 
uh, in that in that Wheeling tournament, which is a very good prospect team. And they've, you know, like I said, went and got a big road win at Lincoln. So tide may be turning, baby. They've lost to Libertyville twice. Don't care. <laughs> Can't get them that third time. <laughs> well, if Waukegan played Libertyville in the sectional tomorrow, who do you pick? I'd pick Waukegan. Okay. Against all evidence. Uh, Next up, Jeff Pearson. Uh, Jeff says, what rule change needs to take place next at the high school level that will make the game better? Adding the shot clock? Adding the restricted arc under the basket? Stop, right there. Stop, stop, stop. Shot clock. That's mine. Go. Moving from quarters to halves, (laughs) increased to six fouls. My question is, why do we need a rule change? Jeff Lake seems to assume that we need one. That's your question. I, I, I am. I was a, a decade ago, poo pooed any shot clock talk. It's not going to happen, shot clock. So, but I think it, it, it needs to happen. Now, I don't want a twenty four, even a thirty second shot clock. I want minimum thirty five, even a forty five. I just want to avoid the minute possessions without a shot, and the holding of the ball at half court with a minute thirty left in the quarter. Yeah, Jeff, I, I want no changes. Um, although interesting, you really no shot clock, huh? No, I don't see the point. It's an eight-minute quarter. Why are you gonna divide it up into sixteen bits? Less than sixteen oh. bits. I mean, I think it's kind of weird. Maybe if you go to a half, it makes sense, more sense to me. But for an, to put a thirty-five-second shot clock in an eight-minute quarter is kind of goofy to me. Um, I don't care. I used to be anti-shot clock. Now, maybe it's because I don't see teams score points hardly anymore. It's true. Uh, Robert Smith said, uh, well, I'd seen it on Twitter, so I asked him. Um, I saw on Twitter that the shot clock was affecting Simeon in the Montverde game at the Hoop Hall Classic this weekend. Simeon lost to Montverde, Florida, their big prep school, top-ranked team in USA Today. They lost by two. But And Rob said, yeah, four or five possessions early in the game. Um, they didn't end up getting a shot clock violation. But it rushed them, and they didn't score, and they didn't get great shots. And, you know, when you lose by two to the number one team in the country, you know, that, that's kind of upsetting. But then I asked him, you know, if the, I said, haven't you run into shot clocks before? You know, they're playing all over the country. And he said, no. He said they don't have it most places. This was only the second time all season that they've uh, run into one. So it seems like a lot of the high-level national games aren't in other states aren't using shot clocks, which surprised me a little bit since everybody's so excited about them. Um, next up, Patrick Devitt, longtime question asker, asker says, uh, Mike, what are the chances we could see both the 3A and 4A title be won by teams outside the Chicagoland area? In 3A, we have Champaign Central, Lanphier, Lincoln, etc. While in 4A, we have Belleville West, Danville, Normal Community, Normal Community West, and Bloomington. I, I think if all of those teams put an all-star team together, Patrick, they might have trouble beating Simeon. But. Yeah, and it, <clears throat> historically, it is, I was interested just looking at it, Mike. You know, it's never even come close to happening. Since we went to four classes. Four classes. Yeah. I mean, in 3A and 4A. I, every time a team from downstate has won a 3A or 4A title, Altoff in 2016 in 3A and Champagne Centennial did it, um, whatever year that was, I, I looked – and in the other game, there was always two Chicago area yeah. teams. So it's never even really come close to happening uh, since the four class system. Yeah, I mean, and I'm being, I mean, there's, 
it's not outside. I can totally see Danville possibly pulling it off. I haven't seen Belleville West. You know, we know they've got EJ Liddell. So, I mean, it's not crazy. And 3A could definitely happen. Uh, Morgan Park, as we are seeing, is, you know, they're going to have some troubles. They're going to have trouble getting by Hillcrest. I mean, without seeing, I mean, 3A, I think anything could happen. I really do. I We got to wait and see what happens with Morgan Park here the next month health-wise. But, man, I think if they're fully, fully healthy, I think Morgan Park wins 3A. But, um, and Simeon, clearly, I just, you know, I, I'm not going to say that Belleville West is on Simeon's level. I just, I, I think Belleville West could be the second best 4A team in Illinois. Yeah. All right. Next up, Alexandre. Oh, this is a good one. Um, Joe and Mike, I have a rant slash question about the colleges in Illinois. Aren't they overthinking it? I saw Joe's list of uncommitted senior prospects in Illinois, two of which I don't think even have a D1 offer. The Illini are the easiest punching bag, and rightfully so, but leaving them out of this conversation, shouldn't these other programs like UIC, NIU, Bradley, DePaul, Loyola, etc. be better? Chase Adams, I know he got offered by UIC recently. Cam Burrell from Morgan Park. And two of the kids on your list don't even have an offer from all these schools. These programs are terrible. Wouldn't it make sense for some of these schools to hire someone like Robert Smith or Nick Irvin or Tyron Slaughter and roll out the red carpet for some of these Chicago kids? What do you have to lose by doing this if you're UIC or NIU or Bradley? Wouldn't it have made sense for DePaul to have opened a new arena with Robert Smith or Nick Irvin, surrounded by experienced college assistants as the new head coach, ushering in a new era? They're already the worst team in their league, and at worst, they would just be that with Irvin or Rob Smith. Joe and Mike, help me understand. Am I being delusional or unreasonable? Why isn't a kid like Evan Gilliard starring for Illinois State or Loyola? Sorry for the long question. I just don't get it. Good, good. It's a good question. Uh, he's not delusional in a lot of it at all. I mean, attacking it bit by bit. One, yes, a number of those players on my list, and even maybe a couple others, should be being recruited by state schools. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind. I, I, I've texted with three or four of them today, actually, about some of those uncommitted players and them getting on them. Uh, we'll see. I, mean, I think it still may happen with this particular group. You know, uh, the the whole high school to college thing, though, Mike, is... Coaching, yeah. It's just, it's a different, completely... Well, first of all, it doesn't happen. I mean, it rarely, rarely ever happens. The rare times it has happened, it hasn't worked out very well. It's just a... I mean, hiring them as assistant coach, yes. I mean, that's happened a number of times all over the country. But to take over a college program, college athletic directors aren't going to do that. They're just not. Uh it would take a huge roll of the dice, and I, I just don't see anticipate that ever happening. Yeah, and both, I mean, we know Robert Smith has had opportunities. I'm sure if Nick Irvin wanted to go be a college assistant somewhere, you know, that wouldn't be hard for him to do. His brother Lance Irvin was a longtime college assistant, um, so I'm not sure if they really have any interest in following that career path. But, yeah, as far as the, the offers and the kids and – yeah, it just gets frustrating because, I mean, the guys Joe is talking about and the guys that Alex is talking about, Jonah, I mean, they're kind of on the list of no-brainers. Then we end up with all these, like, this other tier that's not even talked about that goes to small colleges and succeeds. Like, you're, you know, uh, over at Fort Wayne. Um, 
Well, John Conchar. John Conchar. I mean, this goes on and on. I mean, this is happening. You, you look at like a guy like Derek Needham from Deal Sal, who yeah. went <laughs> just had a monster career at Fairfield. Uh, I mean, it's they're they're, they're the the amount of NCAA tournament, and I've done stories on this appearances from state school or, or schools in Illinois, college programs in Illinois has fallen off a cliff in the last six, five, six years. It, it's unbelievable. I mean, yes, Illinois and DePaul made the tournament every year, basically one of them for, from the late seventies through, you know, 2005 and, you know, DePaul dropped off earlier than that. But the point is, one of those two, if not both, were always in the tournament. But then, if you look, there was a long run from Southern Illinois. Illinois State had their time. Then Bradley and Southern Illinois. Mm-hmm. Every single school has been a part of that tournament kind of interchangeably. So we would have three teams often in the NCAA tournament. And, I mean, now, I mean, Northwestern went last year, but it's it's incredible, really, when you look at the landscape of college basketball in Illinois and comparing it not only to the historical perspective of state schools and what they've done in the tournament, but other states like Indiana or states like Ohio with Xavier and Cincinnati and Ohio State and Ohio University. And, uh, you know, I know they got more mid, mid-major schools in that, in that state, but it's just crazy to think when you consider, quote-unquote, the hotbed of talent in illinois yeah it's it can be a very long conversation but obviously the fact that none of these teams are successful is pretty much proving your point alex um anyway next up steven johnson uh can you and joe give a quick summary of the games you saw this week i think you got out to some upsets i'd like to hear about the games uh biggest upset i saw was new trier knocking off niles north in the old new trier gym it was a really fun game Niles North, you know, they had, they, they struggle a lot. Uh, Kieran Brayboy, who Joe is a big fan of uh, as a prospect, had a, you know, I'd seen him play a few times and never this well. He played really well. He played hard. Uh, New Trier just, they, they were smart. They were able to take advantage of their size ad- advantage and not let their lack of guard talent hurt them too much. It hurt them a ton, but they, they held on just enough. And Niles North made a, a nice chance. They had a chance to win it at the, or at least tie it at the end. But, you know, the, just the shots weren't falling for them. You know, Demario Franklin had a very good game, but not a huge game. Claiborne, you know, was a little bit off. They weren't hitting the boards well. Even, you know, when Brayboy was away from the basket, it was, just wasn't their night. It wasn't a horrible loss, though. I mean, Nutria is a good team. It was on the road. I, I walked out of there thinking that it was actually a good result for both teams because Niles North didn't need to be undefeated for another month that just starts to hang over your head. I figured maybe a wake up call was going to be good long-term for them. And obviously it's a good win for new Trier, but then things changed and Niles North lost another one uh, to Maine South. And they've been struggling with some other teams. I just saw they were, as we recorded, they were losing to Deerfield. I think they might've pulled it out though. But anyway, yeah, that was a big one. The other one I saw that was worth talking about was Marist marrying Catholic. I mentioned it earlier. I'm, and the longtime listeners of the podcast will know that I'm not like some big Marist cheerleader. I don't. I get annoyed by no. their, their schedule. No. Yeah. And yeah. Some very, other things. very critical. Yes. Yes, but I'm on board, man. <laughs> I, I also get annoyed because the Red Hawks they spell it with a capital H, even though it's one word. 
and that that really drives me insane. I don't understand why. I don't think people should be allowed to make up words. Um, but the copy desk get the Sun Times says I have to type it like that, so I do. But anyway, um, I'm on board with this Maris team, man. Look out! They've got it. They rebound. They don't need to hit a three-pointer to win a game, which is like the most refreshing high school basketball thing. They play really hard defense. Morgan Taylor is unstoppable. They just, I think they've got it this year. Not a ton of depth. That'd be kind of their weakness. But man, I'm, I'm all in on Marist. Yeah, I, I took in several games not worth talking about. Uh, and then, uh, you know, earlier in the week, Oak Park beat Downers North. And then what, what I found interesting is, I've seen a lot of Oak Park this year, uh, but what is interesting to me is then you know Oak Park beat Downers Grove North pretty pretty handily. I think it was like fifteen or something. Yeah. But um, then the weekend went on, and I think you saw Downers North. Oh yeah, yeah. They they beat Libertyville, which I guess you could call it a mild upset. Um, and then Oak Park was upset yeah by notre dame yeah by notre dame on saturday at event i was at 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 wheaton at the martin luther king at wheaton war south um friday night was a big game neighborville central neighborville north great atmosphere uh students came out it was really cool it was a rivalry game first place on the line in the dupage valley conference all of that was cool the game was not pretty It, it went down to the wire neighborville north jumped out to an early lead i actually thought they were about ready to Maybe run them out of the gym uh, in the first half, and the second half was just it just bogged down. Neighborville North plays solid defense, though, and sometimes when you have a team that does play that solid defense, it, it can make it look ugly. But it was ugly in the second half. Very little scoring. They pull out like a forty-two forty win. Central had a chance at the end, but uh, I mean, Neighborville North quietly is one of the lone teams which is going to lead into one of my takes as well, but uh, with one of those really, really, really glitzy records at 14-1 and one right now uh, compared to last year where we had so many teams. But they're, they're very good, Mike. Uh, they are, they're, I mean, I'm not going to call them a great elite team, but, but they're no question, uh, no doubt about them in mind, a top, top 20, maybe top 15 team. Yeah, they have not seen them this season yet. Uh, their only loss he has to Batavia, which is the problem with the rankings because I don't want to have Batavia up that high since they don't have a ton of stuff. So, yeah, that's my issues. Um, but Naperville North is also keeping Proviso East kind of out of the rankings at this point. But anyway, uh, I guess the other game I saw was – I guess it also was an upset. I didn't even realize I saw that many upsets. The Loyola beat DePaul, which – the less said about that game, the better. I guess the upsetting part for me was, and why DePaul left the rankings, they never had a chance to win. Never. At no point did it seem like DePaul was going to be able to win that game. And it was, I don't know, that, that kind of takes the wind out of your sails for a team. They just, they're playing really slow, DePaul, as they have been. And I don't know, they beat them today. DePaul turned around and beat Loyola. <laughs> yeah, right, in um, a slower game. Yeah, so. 36-31. I, I don't know who won on aggregate. Um, I think both games are at Loyola, though. But anyway, yeah, DePaul Prep, I, I mean, I, I really like Perry Cowan as a high school player. I mean, I can kind of see why the prospect thing has fallen off a little bit. But, man, he's he's a great high school player, and he can really score. And 
I, I'm just a little frustrated by DePaul. Um, and right now their best win is Leo, and so that became an issue with rankings. But anyway, that was kind of a quick wrap-up of the week for you there, Stephen. Next up, Ross M. Ross says, why are the same few teams, Simeon, Morgan Park, Young, etc., always at the top of the rankings each year? Is it a matter of recruiting grade school players, or do players seek out those schools because of their reputation for success? I'm no cynic. But it can't be purely coincidental that the best players in the city keep ending up at the same schools each year. <laughs> I mean, it's, they do. I mean, that's. I'm going back to Mike to my research earlier in the day, and something I had to look up in 2008, and I had to look it up, and the my the top six teams ranked. This is 2008. Same time of the year, Simeon, number one, <laughs> Marshall, three, Farragut, four, North Lawndale, five, Young, six. Holman Flossman was number two at that year. but So five of the top six were publicly teams. This is nothing new. I mean, the but best I mean, talent. Yeah, but I, yeah, yes, Ross, they do recruit. And these teams do, these kids do want to go there. They seek out the schools. Both of the things Ross asked are true. I mean, that's why it happens. This isn't like they live in the neighborhood or something. Um, but the but the point is the best players are at these schools and that's why they're ranked <laughs> yeah. or they're ranked. Um, and I mean, every once in a while you'll see like a new thing like, or, uh, Lou Adams went over to or and created something there that certainly did not exist, you know, before he was there. So that does happen. There are new players every once in a while and every once in a while there'll be like a Joliet West of last year, or a Stevenson of a few years ago that comes up, but those have to happen a little bit more organically because they're not recruiting from the city. Next up, Rennell Chapman says he loves the show. Wow. What a week. There seems to be a lot of close late game finishes and buzzer beaters at this point in the season compared to past years. Is this true or is technology making us aware of these games more than usual? What contributes to the parity in a lot of these games? Also, the amount of scoring seems to have gone down over the last couple weeks. There were some really high scores to start the year. What is causing this? Scouting reports? Fatigue? P.S. Joe, you can light into the south suburbs all you want. Please do. <laughs> it is really bad out here. What is causing this? Is all the talent going to the city or what? Please provide any solutions. Yeah, become this guy who's down on the south suburbs. And I just... Anybody who has followed high school basketball as long as I have, and anybody down there, I mean, and you watch what has transpired, it's just, it's disheartening. And I, I miss it. I miss, I mean, I'm going way back. We talked about another podcast, the old Sick of East. I mean, I just, it was just a, a, a mecca of high school basketball was the South Suburbs. And, you know, that rivaled anything the public league had at one point, and it has just dried up completely. Uh, but, you know, to answer part of that question, th th there's a lot of styles and systems that come and go, and 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 one of those styles and systems that's in play right now is the, this is a little piece of it, the one-two-two ball press uh, defensively has really slowed things down and, and changed things up. Uh, a lot of teams have adopted it, and it, it has not been or it's been a big part of uh, of the scores going down um Rennell, yeah the south suburbs hasn't really dried up the players are all just in the city at, at this point it's happened for quite a few years now a lot of the best players in the cps teams are from the south suburbs 
Um, for whatever reason, the South Suburbs lost their hold on their own kids, and they're all over the place and not where they used to go. And I don't know what's going to change that. I thought maybe Ty Streets coming to uh, Thornton with his AAU connections and that kind of thing would, would help keep it there. That was Ty's plan, too, that hasn't really gone according to plan yet. Um, Don Houston's kept some things at Hillcrest, but he's also lost a ton. Um, Hillcrest could have had a lot of great players over the last few years that did not end up going to Hillcrest. Um, so, And I don't know what's going to change it. I mean, it is it is the way it is. I mean, you got well, it's been It's been down the past, Mike, but, I mean, not, not to, I mean, even get down in deeper depths of this, but it is, I mean, is it the worst it's ever been this year? I mean, oh, I mean, Marion Catholic's ranked. I mean, Bolingbrook, a lot of people, isn't the traditional South Suburbs, but... Uh, yeah, I, I don't ever count them as the South Suburb, but... Yeah, they knocked off Morgan Park today. Um, I just, I, I've never seen it this this bad. Yeah, I mean, Bolingbrook's in a South Suburban conference, so I think they're a South Suburban team. Yeah. Um, I think we have to count them as that. So I will give that credit to that. HF's okay, but yeah, you're right. It's Bloom's not living up to what we hoped they would. Um, it's yeah, it's bad. Um, no doubt about it. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else even worth. Uh... I mean, Hillcrest, Marion Catholic are probably the two best. Yeah, and they're not even as good as they've been in, no. in recent past years. Richie started well, then had all that drama, um, but they were the only team that even kind of rose up. Sandberg, man, they're playing. <laughs> they're, they're, Lincoln Way East really has kind of led us. To, I mean, they've still got a good record and stuff, but we were thinking Lincoln Way East was going to be one of the best teams, you know, in the area. Didn't Lincoln Way East drill Sandberg this week by like thirty? Somebody did, yeah. But then Sandberg almost beat Bolingbroke. <laughs> that was overtime. Yeah. Oh yeah, Lincoln Way East uh, sixty-two forty-six over Sandberg. Yeah, Sandberg interesting this year but anyway yeah Rennell I mean these kids they're going to the city um there is no south suburban powerhouse now that's attracting the players and that's the problem and I don't know what's gonna change it I mean if you look around not to get too much into this there was the huge coaching overhaul where a lot of the longtime coaches left you know whether it be at Bloom Thornridge Thornton I mean it goes on and on I mean even at Hillcrest you know Tom left Crete Moni was kind of flying there in the wind all the riches you know the coaches are gone and the replacements things have gone rough with that you know and and maybe some of them will recover maybe they won't i mean there was a time when mike taylor was at marion catholic and he was not getting this kind of talent it was going to the other schools and now he's kind of developed one of the strongest programs in the whole area um down there so yeah it's in flux and it's bad for high school basketball that it's this lousy no doubt about it um all right that's uh Oh, no. Sorry. One more, and it's a good one. Um, I, I think technically it was Kenya Nalls. Um, says, good afternoon. Have you guys considered doing a podcast geared towards recruiting? I think it would be a good podcast, one that would be informative, um, which is an interesting idea. This wasn't like an actual question, but I wanted to ask this question of Joe on the podcast because I think a lot of parents probably want to know. Uh, Kenya Nalls asks, what are your thoughts on recruiting services, such as NCSA? Are they useful? I personally believe any recruiting service that parents are paying is useless, as far as it comes to basketball. Other sports, I have no clue, no idea. 
But as far as basketball, I mean, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't get the purpose of them. Um, college coaches really don't use them. These, 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 I, 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 I really don't get it, but they're, you're going to be found in basketball. You, you just are. And, you know, these ones that are, you're, you're going to pour out money to, for most, most of these people, for division three schools that are going to pay your own way anyway. Um, I just, I, I just think it's a, a crock. All right. Yeah. Cause I didn't really know. And I, I'm sure there are a lot of people wondering that. And it is an interesting idea. Uh, Ken yet uh, possibly doing a podcast on this. Cause I'm sure Joe has a lot of information that I think a lot of people would find interesting um, on that sort of stuff. So I just wanted to kind of hit that briefly, but let's uh, go into our takes. I'm going to start it out. My first take was based on the, uh, Morgan Park Bolingbrook game. I'm sure a lot of you probably watched it on television on tape delay or followed along. Um, I just, and I don't want to, I don't, Io Dosumu should not have played that game. He wanted to play. Um, you know, I didn't talk to him or Nick after the game. I talked to Mike Irvin briefly because um, they lost, and I had barely any time to talk to Bolingbrook and then cover the next one. But anyway, but during the game, Io went down with his injured ankle, and he was he was down for a while, and it didn't look good. And he was able to walk off on his own, and I don't even know. I think he sat down on the bench for a second. He told Nick Irvin he wanted to check back in, and Nick said, Are you sure? Do you want to go back in? And he said, Yes. This is all right in front of me. So it's clear that Io wants to play. But it's just, I don't think it's worth the risk. You know, this isn't my decision to make. Obviously, it's up to him and his parents. But it didn't wasn't good for anybody. Morgan Park did not look good with him on the floor. They couldn't play the way they wanted. So I really don't think he's helping the team out. And I'm just, you worry about him and his future. You know, he's got a really bright future at Illinois and beyond. And I, I just don't think it's worth it right now to be pushing this when he's clearly not 100%. He just needs to sit down until he's ready to play as the Io Dosumu we all know. Yeah, you know, with an ankle injury, it is sometimes just getting out and testing it and to see, you know, give it a go, see if you can go, and if you can't, you can't. And I just noticed there was one particular, he got the ball, you know, first half in transition, out in the wing, and he literally kind of just kind of gimped to the basket. Yeah. And at that point, I was like, okay, uh, if he is not going, like you said, to play at the, uh, I mean, forget 100%. He wasn't even at 50%. I, I don't think he was at 50% just by what you, you saw. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, when it's that glaring to me, it is, you know, again, it's up to that, that the, their medical people and the family and the coaching staff. And, but, he just was not anywhere near close to, I mean, forget 100%. Yeah, so we'll my, see how that goes. Yeah, my, my first take is, uh, is about the parody. Um, you know, it's interesting. A lot of the questions that we had in the, in the podcast earlier reflected my takes, both my takes, and, and one is the, the parody. And I looked up... No, I forgot the number, Mike. Your your top twenty five right now at the midway point has seventy nine losses, and that's with taking out St. Rita, who could have been in with ten or something. Yeah, like and, and and putting and putting Aurora Christian in at the end with <laughs> exactly, zero. Exactly. Yeah. 
So, which, you know, you, people can argue all they want if they are deserving to be in the top 25. That's a different debate. But you have 79 losses. Now, I started doing this late last night researching, which I do some of these research projects, and I wonder why the heck I do them. I, I just started combing through. And, it, and it's hard enough, Mike, to do preseason rankings and postseason rankings and find them. Try finding midseason rankings uh, historically. Fortunately, I found yours recently, and then I had to use my old city suburban hoops report issues. But the point was this. I could only find three seasons that matched any of this as through Martin Luther King weekend. And then I tried to pick, and I'm, I'm going to have, this is all going to be in print this week because I'm, I'm putting it all together. But the point is this. There were 79 losses. There were three seasons that were approximately the same amount of losses, 2007, 2008, 2008, 2009, back-to-back years. Mike, we should have been doing a podcast then. We could have really complained. Uh, <laughs> and then two years ago, 2015, 2016. So in those three years, it was 78, 78, and 80. So this is 79, so we're right in you know, that ballpark. My point is, this is a year of parity. I think this is the identity that this season is going to have, excluding Simeon, when we go forward here, particularly when we get to state tournament time. I think some crazy, wacky things will happen. We always say they do, but by and large, the the top seeds generally make it through for the most part. But this year, I don't know, man. I mean, like you just talked about, like like a Waukegan. it wouldn't shock me if they got beaten in a regional championship, and it wouldn't shock me if they won a sectional championship. And you look, and then I went and looked at those years, and sure enough, we had some odd te- things happening. The one year that I, that I compare this year to, Richards won a state title beating Zion Benton. <laughs> uh, at midseason point, they weren't even ranked very high. Uh, Lockport was in Peoria that year. Um, I can't remember the fourth team, but... You know, that type of thing I expect to happen because this year through the halfway point has just shown to me that there is more parity. And you can call it good, bad, mediocre, or whatever you want to call them. There is true parity, and it's going to wreak havoc come March. Yeah, no doubt about it. it it's rough out there in the rankings game. I'm, I'm spending way too many hours on Sunday trying to make heads or tails of this, and it's I mean, it used to take me like two hours, and we're in four-hour sessions now. It's, it's a complete Sunday nightmare. I, I, I never used to really dread the rankings, and now I just, Saturday night, I just start dreading. <laughs> I have to sit down and try and make this into any sort of sense. And, and that's why I'm like, you know what? I'm sitting here trying to figure out which team with a million losses should be in this rankings. And I got Aurora Christian sitting over here undefeated with a D1 player, and it's mid-January. You're in. <laughs> And they're going to be in there, looks like, for a long time uh, yeah. based on their uh, schedule. So they're going to be this year's Hope Academy, who I think totally lived up to uh, their constant 25. For the second this puts pressure on you now to go do something, though. You're going to have to go watch them. Oh, no doubt about it. I, I totally, totally plan to because I need so to see let, Jake let, Wolf. Let, so let me ask you this. So yeah. let's say you go watch them. Mm-hmm. And they lay an egg. Yep. And they win, but they play some team that we nobody knows, and they don't play very well. Yep. And they're sitting at twenty and zero. Do you, you drop them out? 
if I have somebody else, yeah, that I, my rule my that I wrote for myself many years ago, everything is subject to change after I see a team for the first time. So um, right. people on Twitter know this. I say this all the time that I don't want to hear where I had you before. I just saw you now and I want to put you where I want you. So, yeah, I mean, it would be foolish for a person to stick to something that was faulty that he'd because he'd never seen the team. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it doesn't make any sense. So, yeah. Uh, in that situation, I would maybe feel bad about it, but no, I look at it as like you, the NCAA rankings, where like a Missouri Valley school cracks into the top twenty-five and inches their way up, or a West Coast Conference school like a St. Mary's, they mm-hmm. crack the top twenty-five and and then they lose to one of their at, you know lower-level conference foes and they fall out of the rankings. Get but dumped. yeah, it's. But no, I'm but excited about Aurora Christian. I want to go February. I'm going to go all kinds of weird stuff, man. Moments Aurora Christian. I'm going to see a lot of white and uh, CPS games. I'm tired of my schedule this week is all these really good games with teams I've seen before, and frankly, I'm a little bored with it. I looked at the moment schedule. Ooh, good luck. I know. Although I did, I did watch. They got a game online. I watched it. Were you? Impressed? I did watch it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not top 25 worthy but and i geographically i had to go find where moments was but oh. to make sure i mean they're they're uh There's that's a long a, way man not really it's solidly in yeah. our area yeah that's a long way that's no zion <laughs> all right um what are we doing here oh my oh my take <laughs> I didn't, it was kind of ruined because i kind of gave it earlier it was my marist love i'm all in on Marist, um, although I'm fully prepared for Brother Ice to probably beat them on Tuesday night now that I'm all in. But, yeah, I like that team. And also Bolingbrook. These two teams convinced me this week. For Bolingbrook especially, if you watch the game, you saw, but Joey Sirocco, the 6'7 senior, and Cam Leonard, the 6'7 junior, really improved. Um, Sirocco played well against Romeoville when I saw them earlier, but both of those guys... They proved a ton today because they did it against a team with some good size, a really good team, Morgan Park. Those two big men proved that, yeah, they're not going to be like last year's Bolingbrook's bigs. They're not Malik Bins, but they're definitely good enough to take this team far. And that's something I wasn't sure enough earlier in the year. So I'm a lot more excited about Bolingbrook than I was uh, a month ago. Yeah, Sirocco's been uh, just a huge addition. Like you said, he, he doesn't have to be those guys, Bins and, uh, you know, I mean, Atkinson was an inside player, but, I mean, he was gave them some size. They just need size. They need him to contribute at a, a certain level, which he did against that Romeo. He had 10.6 rebounds in that Romeoville game. I think he had 17 today, including that pivotal little flurry he had in the yeah. second second quarter. Uh, Six in a row, of, yeah. Extended the, the lead and. So, yeah, he, his addition is, I mean, it's huge for them. Um, my second take is kind of a theme of the podcast, both with the questions and what's coming up. And, and, and that's kind of the the notion that it's a poor senior class. Not the notion, it is. It's not a very good senior class. And we've talked about it. There are, give or take, at the end of the day, going to be approximately 30 Division One players playing division one basketball or heading off the next fall. But what's interesting is of the top 30 in my rankings, uh, which again, I think all 30 of them are around there will be division one signees that there are 13 or 14, I think that are still unsigned and uncommitted. And for as 
and again, Mike talked about it at the opening here a little bit. The um, the question asked that was asked also touched on it. But there's some really good value left with these with these players. Now, some of them have come out of the the woodwork and shine that nobody expected, like Terrence Shannon at Lincoln Park. But I mean, there are some players without a single Division One offer who are clearly Division One players and. I have literally worked at this for the last two weeks and getting their names out. And part of that's my job with the recruiting service that I do. I do a big mid-season report. I just sent it out of the top unsigned, uncommitted players, uh, a thorough, long, detailed account of all of these kids that goes out to, you know, approximately 100 schools. So, you know, we'll see if there's any effect from the hoops report, but... I just really believe in a lot of these guys. There's a lot of times, Mike, where I sit at this time of the year and I'm searching to give names to the college coaches who are calling, whether it be a low division one or a mid major. And, you know, I mean, it's not a lengthy, lengthy list, but it's a nice list that I have that I am pretty confident about. And it leads us into our kind of our segment here of, of the number of players that are still out there and available for Division One programs, and a lot of them are low Division One kids. But again, there's a lot of low Division One programs in our state, and there's some mid majors that have struggled, and there are players that can help them. And that's kind of my take: is just despite the the lack of depth in this class of Division One players, because again, we're used to on a good year getting 45 Division One players, 50 plus on a great year, and you know I'd say average 40. And we are not going to get any of those markers this year, but we still have some quality players who are available right now. Yeah, it's uh, quite a list. I mean, the top five guys that Joe wrote about um, in the wait—it wasn't in the newspaper; it was online um, yesterday. Uh, Drew Peterson of Libertyville, Xavier Pinson of Simeon. Who those guys both have pretty active recruitments going on. Um, Terrence Shannon. Yeah. Pinson is really picking up, Mike. I mean, I. You know, Dayton is offered. Um, Georgetown. Georgetown is offered. St. Louis is is come in board. Missouri, I think Oregon is inquired. I'm taking. I'm thinking of all the schools we've been called in the last week. Myself or you know, Simeon, and so yeah. I mean, he is definitely picked up. The Drew Peterson thing will be interesting to see how it plays out because I wouldn't be surprised if high majors don't jump in that he plays out the spring on the AAU circuit and and he, you know you can you can do that and it's happened and it's worked for a number of kids he's a late if anybody's seen Drew Peterson he's pretty very thin frail a little bit for he's been a late blooming physical physically so that play has played a part in it as far as projection high level but you can go on with that list yeah I should apparently never go to Drew Peterson games I'm like 0 for 3 at this point. Um, anyway, Terrence Shannon from Lincoln Park. Uh, Danny Smith from Orr and Raekwon Drake from Orr. Those, so that's the top five. Uh, Terrence Shannon I saw again this uh, past week. Saw Lincoln Park beat North Lawndale in a good game. He's, um, you know, I, I can, you can, it's clear why he has been under the radar. He was hurt last year. It sounds like there's some people wondering if he's going to play football. Um 
who knows about that. But and he's also raw. He's a lot rawer than these other guys. Um, but he's really intriguing because he does have the size and he's able to play guard. And you can definitely see the potential with him. Huge upside, Mike. That kid is just oozing upside. I mean, I, I, I just, um, I am really, really excited about Terrence Shannon. What I mean, he's a Division One talent, and there's a few schools that have gone in this week to, to watch him even practice, and I think they've even come come away agreeing that okay, this is a Division One talent. And then Danny Smith is the one I can't figure out. I, you know, Raekwon Drake had a name early on. You know, he was a, a big contributor early in his career, highly regarded, highly ranked. Schools were coming in to watch him. He didn't grow. But, you know, and his recruitment did tail off from where, you know, kind of it was expected to be. But he's a physically dominating player at the high school level. And that athleticism, that body, that motor, all that stuff translates. And Raekwon Drake is a kind of a known commodity where Danny Smith has kind of flied on, he's flown under the radar. And I can't figure out why, because he won a state championship last year, was a key player in that run. He's, you know, he's built a little bit of reputation here with some big games and, and big moments this season. You know, there's a couple of schools I know for a fact that that are really close to, to popping and offering Danny Smith. And I just think he's a multifaceted, big-bodied, uh, jack-of-all-trades guy at the next level. See, I my reporter's radar with those Orchids. You know, they say they're qualifiers. And, you know, you don't want to not believe people, but when, has, what's the last Orchid that was? Ty Mosley, but that one's for sure. But, I mean, I, I know what you're saying. Uh and didn't Loyola and, and, get burned with, um, and and that's the and that's the, that's that is no question, a question mark where that college coaches have, uh, and there are coaches that aren't going to offer until they see a transcript. So because for me, well, there's no Raekwon Drake. It's a no brainer. I mean, yeah, he's not hitting three pointers. Who, who cares? I mean, how many high school kids are these days? He's a freak. He's been around, like you said. Everybody's known about him forever. I mean, the fact that some low D1, yeah, that's just weird. Um, so, yeah, you wonder about that. And, you know, that's something I ask all the time. And, you know, they say they're qualifiers. And Danny Smith also, you know, it wasn't playing early. So you wonder about his kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, as well. So I'm wondering if that's an issue with them. Um, next up, we got Zion Young from Simeon, who uh, Robert Smith said he'd been playing really well on the road, kind of the games we hadn't seen. Um, freak athlete, if you haven't seen him. It looks like he has like an – if you take a normal kid's legs and you put a brick where his calf is and then stretch the uh, skin over it, that's what his calves look like. Zion Young is a freak. Or an SEC linebacker. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. Um, yeah, he's something else. Uh, Cam Burrell's having a heck of a year for sure. Hit a, He had one play today. I don't know if you remember from the game where he hit that kind of long mid-range jumper in the flow of the game where it looked like an NBA shot. Um, he's just – and he's so active, man. Yeah. I mean, he's just so bouncy and active. And he's really been – if you had to put five breakthrough seniors, I know we've talked about that in the past, but, I mean, he's clearly one of the five breakthrough talents in the senior class. Yeah, the active thing, you know, especially in the new way everybody's playing basketball with no positions and everybody running around. 
perfectly fit for that Gambrell. Uh, Jalen Shaw of Larkin, the next kid. He is, um, it sounds like there's a chance he could qualify, but he probably won't from what I've heard from the Larkin folks. Um, just a really up and down career and season, uh, the inconsistency, but that, that happens with big men. I mean, yeah. it does. And, uh, he's got a huge body that, that, that are, that's coveted. He was a player of the year contender after the first month. Um, but that's fallen off. Uh, Dusan Mahorsic, Mahorsic from Notre Dame who, um, yeah, I watched him Saturday morning. Uh, deuce as they call, uh, he, I, I, another player I love. He's got a really unique story. He came over, uh, the belief of Montenegro as a sophomore uh, in high school. So he, he is the most improved player, Mike, in this class. It, it, he was a Division three prospect six months ago, and now he's clearly a Division one prospect. Yeah, he was interesting. He was really good when I saw him in the first half um, this year. Not so great in the second half, but yeah, I mean, for a kid of his size to flash what he can do, uh, there's no doubt about that that's an interesting thing for a, a low D1 or a mid-major. Um, then we got the Martin brothers, um, Trayvon Martin and uh, what's, what's the... Uh, it's not... Terry. Uh... No, it's... Um... <laughs> I got a brain cramp. Yeah, I should know this. I've only been covering them. Anyway, as we, they've been around forever. Um, and I guess it sounds like the um, – I don't know if you were telling me that the recruiting people are split on which one's better. Um, they think it's not Trayvon. It's yeah, everybody has a different opinion. Uh, I, I clearly think Trayvon is the, the better prospect. but um, Hence why we both know his name. Um, uh, hold on. But, but I mean, they've got, um, so, they, they, again, people are just dying for size. I mean, they can't find size. College programs cannot, you know, find guys. And, and, and Trayvon Martin is a guy who he rebounds, he's got a body, he defends, you know, he's very raw offensively, but he's another kid that, you know, a low division one program. I know, could use him, you know, and, and it's just a matter of if he can develop any kind of offensive game going forward. Yeah, his his brother is Tyree Martin. That's the uh, the other one. And Trayvon's been starting for what three years now. He was maybe the second best player in a state championship game as a yeah, sophomore. Yeah, he was. He had double double that game yeah. as a sophomore. And, yeah. He was great. So, yeah, I'd definitely take a shot on him. Next up, a little group of three guards. DeAndre Heckard of Romeoville, Chase Adams of Marion Catholic, and Morgan Taylor of Marist. Yeah, I mean, Chase Adams just picked up the the UIC offer. Obviously, the big drawback and the negative is his size. But I think Chase Adams defies some of that, just like Raekwon Drake does as a kind of an undersized four-man. those guys just get things done. And, and Chase Adams is a, just a pure basketball player. Yeah, worst case scenario for some low D1 with Chase Adams is you got a really good backup point guard for, you know, for the last three years. You know what I mean? Even if he doesn't score a ton or whatever, he can play that role. He handles the ball well, he can distribute, and he's a he's the kind of kid other kids like. Um, yeah, and, and DeAndre Heckard, I'm a little surprised at the lack of kind of lack of juice that he's been getting uh, from from college programs. You know, he's a you know a, a strong, athletic, 
you know, I, I almost think he's more of a combo guard, but you know, I, you know, a big flurry here in the second half of the season could do wonders for him. Yeah, and Morgan Taylor, colleges, Illinois colleges, pass on Morgan Taylor, and then he will beat you when he's a junior. That's all I have to say. He's really good. <laughs> um, he, he, uh, it's ridiculous that every program that um, Alex Andre mentioned. I mean, come on, I, I don't, I don't get it. Why don't they want Morgan Taylor? I mean, they. No one, no one's seen him for one. I mean, <laughs> literally. Um, you know, he didn't didn't play for high profile AAU. Uh, he people have not been pounding down doors to go see Maris play. So it's going to take a little bit of some effort for somebody to get out and see Morgan Taylor. Yeah, and he's got that. You know, the way he's gotten better each year. You know, he's always talking about how much he's working with it. This is a kid who's going to keep getting better through his college career. Yeah, he's not the biggest. He's probably not the quickest. But, yeah, that's that's just ridiculous that he doesn't have more going on. Next up, uh, group of three guys, Quinlan Bennett of Proviso East, Nas Turner from Kenwood, and R.J. McGee from Kenwood. Yeah, I mean, Nas Turner screams upside. and He's an he's a, he's electric athlete off the floor, 6'6", long, you know, a little raw offensively still, but he's come a little ways with that. R.J. McGee has really been producing this year. You know, big wing, 6'5", putting up numbers. And become a little bit more consistent. And uh, third player you mentioned, Quinlan Bennett. He's been working Quinlan his way Bennett, back yeah. from an injury. Yeah, I mean he 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 was out from July through December, so that's a big stretch of time with with no ball, and it it, it takes a while to shake some of that rust off. And he's a six two combo guard, athletic, who you know had a good summer in July, and then he got injured. So again, another you know. A division two, low division one, you know, bubble guy. Yeah, Nas Turner is a player we heard about for a long time, and then this year he finally has shown you those moments that, man, he's the kind of athlete that you don't find a lot of them around, so it's surprising someone hasn't wanted to uh, give that a shot. And like you said, R.J. McGee has kind of turned that potential into production this year, which is what you wanted to see and what Kenwood kind of needed to be a good team. Um, so, yeah, I'm very interested to see how he goes in college because he's the kind of guy that I could really see getting a lot better. Um, through his college career. Uh, next up, Bobby Harvey from Hillcrest, who's been really one of the better players in the state this year, and he's got Hillcrest in a really great position for their their run the next two months. Justin Hardy of St. Charles East and Justin Boyd of Young. Yeah, I mean, there's a surplus of uncommitted kids, Mike, that you know a lot of them are going to fall in that Division two ranks. And what uh, kind of a misnomer, or a thing that's forgotten is, that there just aren't that many Division II programs in Illinois or the Midwest and in the surrounding area. So it's not just, okay, it's not Division I, that's all right, I'll just be a Division II player, scholarship, whatever. But it's not that easy because the numbers aren't there for, I mean, they are taking Division II programs, a, they're limited scholarships, and they are not in a surplus in the area. We have Quincy and Lewis in Illinois, that's it. And then in Wisconsin, there's Wisconsin Parkside. So there's three in those two states. Uh, you know, so I, I don't – people just assume, oh, if they're not Division One, they can go to Division Two. It's not that easy. And not to mention the Division Two programs are loaded and filled and waiting in the springtime especially for Division One transfers. So it, it, it does become a little bit tricky uh, just to say, okay, well, he's not Division One, he can just go play Division Two. 
That is interesting. I didn't know that. Um, Next up, Isaiah Fuller of Oak Park. We've talked about him a lot at the podcast. Kind of a late bloomer kid who's really kind of asserted himself this year and looks like he could definitely help a school. Caleb Thornton of Bolinbrook. We've been watching for a while. He's currently hurt. Eddie Creel, Juliet West defector at Romeoville, who to me is one of the more interesting players on this list. Not just my bias here, but Eddie... You know, he, he's gotten a lot better each year. He can do a lot of things. I think he might be hurting DeAndre Heckard's recruitment a little bit at Romeoville because, to me, when you watch Romeoville play, Eddie Creel is kind of the, clearly the best prospect. Yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't say that, that he's hurting. I, I mean, we've, I mean, they can coexist and they can showcase just plenty. Um, I, I just don't know. If, well, we'll see. I mean, Romeoville, they got a big game coming up this weekend, and I, I, I just – I think we're all kind of waiting for them to take one step forward of, of where they're at right now. Yeah, no doubt about that. And uh, Brandon Ellis from Warren on this list, a player who played really well the end of last year. Um, you know, this yeah, he year was, he was he was committed to Indianapolis Division two school, and, and then he was off the board. And now he's all right, you know he's back open. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, Joe, you left my guy off this list. Whoa, Demaria Franklin. Yeah, we could throw a bunch of Niles North guys on there. Yeah, he's my I guy. I mean, you, you could throw all three of those guys, uh, Drayvon Claiborne, Claiborne and Jamal, Jamal Stevenson, Stevenson and, and Demario Franklin. But yeah, I'll take Franklin over, frankly, a lot of guys on this list. I think he's going to be something else. He's uh, just such an athlete, and he can shoot it. He can rebound. He does a lot. He, he's like, eh, I don't know. I think he's just got whatever the it is. I'm a big fan of Demario Franklin. And Drayvon Claiborne has played really well. He's one of those guys that, I mean, he just, he is a little bit, you know, he's out of control. He takes a lot of shots, but I mean, he's making so many of them. And he's a large part of the reason Niles North is such a dangerous team. So you don't really want to rip him too much for that aggressiveness because they need that. You know, they need a player like that. Um, But yeah, I wondered, I've seen him a lot this year and I'm really coming around on him as a prospect as well. He just picked up a Division two offer from Lewis uh, this week, last week. So, um, yeah, I mean, he is a little bit of a ball-dominant lead guard that can that, that likes to dribble, likes to shoot, but he's got some, you know, he's got some, you say, a little bit of it with Demario Franklin. I mean, he, he's got a little, you know, supercharge in, in Claiborne. Yeah, I mean, he, he takes kids on. He's not afraid, you know. He's an interesting player to me. I'll be following his college career closer than some more. Um, Therese Dobbs, you know, a guy who I want to mention just because he's such a great high school player, you know, especially when he's on and when things are good at uplift. But you can kind of tell why the D1s aren't around him. It's just kind of a weird tweener body type and that kind of thing. But I I think he's an interesting player. Yeah, I mean, the question, Mike, is we're naming all these guys and – we could do this a lot of years. There's another probably half dozen that we could name, but uh, the the confusion with their levels, though, to me, uh, yeah, I think there's some that are really really under recruited. But I also want everybody to keep in mind for the generally for the most part at this point in your senior year you pretty much are who you are being recruited by at this point. I mean, you have played out the AAU scene, which if there's the biggest, one of the biggest changes in recruiting and evaluating 
in the 20 plus years that I've done this is the amount or the lack of exposure kids are now getting during the high school season because college coaches aren't going out nearly as much in the winter months as they used to. And this is a trend in the last five to 10 years that I've seen develop where I, I would always see college programs at games and especially the locals, you know, division one schools in Illinois and, and yeah, they come out here and there, but I'll, I'll go weeks at, at some big games at big events and, you know, not seeing any college representation. So that has changed. I know they're in the middle of their season and they are, it's a grind for them and it is difficult, especially if you have to travel. But that's been a big switch um, in, in recruiting. And yeah. it is predominantly AAU. And, and some of these guys, Mike, that that you're in love with really did not do anything for an entire month of July. And, and that's just the truth. And, you know, when when you've got 200 college programs in a gym and you don't do anything in your three weekends in July, it, it, they are – most of the time, just put off to the side, and sometimes it's unfair. But, but the, most of the, most of the time, it, it's pretty accurate. Don't. But that's why the local schools should know this. I mean, I'm sorry, but yeah, Demario I, Franklin can play at Northern Illinois University. I believe he, that. He, he he will not play at Northern Illinois University. I mean, he won't. He will not get a Division One scholarship. Yeah. It just to me, stuff like that's mind-boggling. And we got guys like Max Struess, who uh, Jonathan Mills, these guys who you know are really, really great high school players that wind up. I don't know. It, it's frustrating to me. I mean, well, Max Struess did grow five inches, but <laughs> once he lost stag, and Max Struess was a, a a Division One prospect. He he was the example of being missed. I mean, he he was a Division One prospect that got hurt, didn't was banged up in July of his seat before his senior year, and it really did hamper his recruitment. And he went to Lewis, became an All-American, and transferred to DePaul. Uh, so, yeah, there, there's misses all the time. There's no question. John Conchar, you know, was really the only Division One offer, I think, was IPFW. Yeah. And, you know, he's one of the top low lower-level mid-major type players in the country. It's a shame. That uh, we cannot keep John Contra in state. I guess he's pretty close. Um, I can't wait to have these talks next year about Zach Toussaint. It'll <laughs> <laughs> be a lot of fun for everybody. Buckets, Zach Toussaint. He's my he's my guy. Um, kind of easy. To, he's gonna have an issue with D one. <laughs> Looks most likely. Um, but anyway, I think we've uh, hit it pretty hard. Um, that should do it for this week. Uh, next week, we will be back, usual time, and we will have all kinds of stuff. I guess, you know, we were supposed to hit the week. We're pretty long. You want to do it quick, Joe? Um, yeah, I mean, I... Uh, there's nothing too much worth talking about until we get to Saturday. Um, some yeah. decent games during the week, but we got a big event at Glen Bard East. The Windsides Collide. Got DePaul Prep and Evanston at 1. Glen Bard East and Downers Grove North at 2.30. Young against Bloomington at 4. Fenwick and Morgan Park, the Fenwick tour of the Red South, well, the old Red South continues, at 5.30, and then Romeoville-West Aurora at 7. 
Yeah, that's an intriguing game, Romeo the West Aurora. It's two teams you want. You're just you, you're, you're waiting for one of them to kind of take that. Like I said earlier, take that next step. Both very good, solid teams that you know are very worthy of being ranked. And but I think both of them are still you know looking for some of those marquee wins, resume building wins. And then you know the Fenwick Morgan Park game. I would be really excited about if Iowa was healthy. And, I, and I'm still excited because it, it pits the two best young players in the sophomore class against one another. I mean, if everybody has DJ Stewart and Adam Miller one and two or vice versa. And, you know, young and Bloomington is a chance for Bloomington to come up here and showcase some things that you and I have talked about them. You know, they played up the Chicago League Classic against St. Rita and kind of an ugly game. But uh, young, you know, gets a crack at, at, at one of the uh, – you know, better downstate teams. Yeah, and I, I liked watching uh, Downers Grove North. They're going to be a, an interesting squad for next year. They're, they're playing the host Glenbard East. And uh, DePaul Prep, you know, a little chance to redeem themselves here against an Evanston team that, you know, we haven't talked about them a ton lately, but looking at their record now, looking at what they've done, you know, they, they're they young too, but I'm starting to wonder if Evanston might not be in that little bracket I was creating of, dangerous teams like Marist and Bolingbrook. Yeah, you, uh, I think we rewound t- 12 months. I think this was a weekend you, 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 not gave up on Evanston, but I remember Evanston lost to Naperville North in this event. Yes. And, uh, uh I guess you had had it at that point. I remember, well, but they, uh, they didn't have a win against anyone in the rankings. Yeah. And now, you know, Evanston, has a lot of wins against teams in the rankings. <laughs> and, and it's just a credit to those young kids kind of yeah. rising to the occasion, too. Um, obviously, Lance Jones is the catalyst of junior, but those freshmen, have, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's saying a lot to be where they are right now at this point in the season when you expect freshmen to kind of now start feeling comfortable and at ease and going forward. Exactly. I mean, to go into that hostile Nutrier gym, a team with a lot of size that had just knocked off Nilesville North, Niles North, and get that win, I think shows a lot about this Evanston team, and I think they have a higher upside than a lot of us thought early. Um, I guess I had them in the preseason rankings, but I'm not going to say I thought they had. They're better than I expected. <laughs> anyway, so that should be fun on Saturday. Um, so we will see you next week. Thanks, everybody.